0: Welcome to Our American States, a podcast from the National Conference of State Legislatures. On this podcast, we're all about legislatures, the people in them, the policies, process, and politics that shape them. I'm your host, Ed Smith. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is one in a series NCSL is producing to focus on how states are taking action in response to the coronavirus pandemic. The podcasts and a new webinar series look at public health responses. Workplace issues, education and child care, the economy, elections, and continuity of government. You can find links to sign up for these webinars and view archived versions along with links to a wide range of other resources at www.ncsl.org forward slash coronavirus. Today we're talking with Tim Storig, the Executive Director of NCSL. Tim and other NCSL staffers have been talking with state leaders to understand what they need during this pandemic. And advocating on behalf of states to members of Congress and the administration. Tim, welcome back to Our American States.
1: Oh, I'm so happy that I could be back on the show. Thanks, Ed.
0: So, Tim, I know you've been talking with legislative leaders around the country and lots of other people. What are their biggest concerns in the short term, the next couple of months?
1: Well, the short term is really sort of keeping operations going, taking care of their people. Uh, making sure that everyone is, uh, you know, being safe and healthy. So I think leaders, first of all, first off, are taking care of their people, their members, their staffs. And then, you know, the the next issue is like, how do you maintain operations and take care of the things that legislatures have to take care of, um, including getting a budget passed. Uh, only about I want to say twenty one states had passed budgets before coronavirus, before COVID nineteen. So let's say that's BC time. So those other states still have to put together an FY21 budget. In, in the states that did pass budgets, uh, now, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, during the rest of the call, um, those states now have you know, serious issues around the devastating impacts of the virus on the economy and their state economies. So, so I think you know, when I talk about staying on top of operations, you know, leaders have been, have been very creative about how do they convene committees, how do they convene... The chambers in some cases, you know, with some states moving to outside venues where they could keep, you know, safe distances to protect themselves from spreading the virus. And, you know, and then I'd say in the short term, it's all a waiting game in many ways. It's monitoring the economic data, um, waiting to see you know, where where this goes next. Uh, when are we, you know, in phase two, phase three, you know, out of the woods? And I don't think anybody thinks we're out of the woods, but, you know, are things looking better? And then I think, you know, the other short-term thing is that constituent requests have been pretty high and steady from a number of legislators I've talked to, and a lot of those have to do with the federal issues, and, you know, often constituents don't always distinguish between state officials and federal officials, and, and of course, the stimulus bills that have passed uh, Congress have a big impact on state programs, and so they've been getting a lot of questions from, mem- from, from constituents. So, how about those longer-term concerns? We've heard some pretty big numbers
0: in terms of revenue shortfall. Do you think this is going to be something that affects states for years?
1: Revenue estimating is is always subject to some uncertainty. I mean, even in the best of times, using modeling, you know, based on decades of data, um, you're always got a an X factor in predicting what revenue will look like. The revenue projections in this in the world of coronavirus and its impact on the U.S. economy, the uncertainty is like a magnitude of 100. It's it's dramatic. I mean, there there is, we, we cannot, no one ever imagined this kind of scenario. I mean, states prepare for, you know, recession, great recession type downturns. You know, let's, what happens if, if we lose 5% or 10% of revenue? And those are you know, extraordinarily high numbers. So I think the the longer term concerns, everyone knows that there will be a revenue shortfall. And, and by the way, one interesting thing about this particular economic uh, downturn impact is that it will affect every single state. You know, sometimes, you know, because diff- different states have different revenue structures, you know, they might rely heavily on sales tax or, re- or income tax or tourism dollars or oil and gas uh, revenues. But the coronavirus and what it's doing to the economy is going to hit all 50 states and the territories. So, uh, what they're thinking is you know, we know the next crisis is the economic crisis. We're going through the healthcare crisis now, and then the sort of part two is the economic crisis that lies ahead. And how do they manage that? And of course, there's a lot of triage being done with the federal support around stimulus and around uh, unemployment support and payroll protection for small businesses. The long term, will it go on for years? Nobody knows. How deep will it go? Nobody knows for certain. I think uh, smart legislators are already, and and legislative fiscal staff, are already anticipating sharp declines in revenue, and there certainly are are many early indicators that point to that. Um, They know unemployment goes up. Uh, you know, um, income tax revenue goes down. Um, consumer spending is obviously at a at a standstill. Um, you know, with the large part of the consumer economy essentially on shutdown. So, uh, so these are these are going to be you know major issues in the future. But I, I think at this point, the the uncertainty, the unknowns, the X factor are so extraordinary that no one can know for sure. Um, all you can do is sort of project. A bad scenario, a worse scenario, and a catastrophic scenario, and how can you start to prepare for those things? So on the other
0: side of that coin are the increased costs. How well-equipped are states at this point to handle that?
1: They are well-equipped. You know, g- Going into the, the, before coronavirus, the BC time, states were in fairly good shape. Um, reserve funds were at their highest levels since the great recession 2008-2009. Of course states balanced their budgets, revenues were actually trending higher in most states. So the vast majority of states were in really good sound fiscal situations and are are well managed. You know, legislatures and governors are managing states, uh, you know, about as well as they have in 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 years when you just look at the overall fiscal health of states. That was B C. So now we're in this situation where, you're right, uh, some spending will go up. There'll be actually be some modest savings uh, for, state, you know, for states. Uh, when you're, you know, you're not operating schools, for example, um, there are savings there. Um, but then on the other hand, there's added costs. You know? And so you're trying to balance, like, okay, where are the added costs? If Let's just take education. You know, one of the biggest categories that states spend money on, if you have to completely retool how schools operate you know, starting next fall, and you have to do staggered schedules or smaller classes where kids are spread out or isolated classes. You have, to, you have to think about different ways to serve lunch to kids. Well, you know, this is going to put a lot of costs on states and schools, again, which are largely funded by, by the states. Not to mention the, you know, the, the social safety net of health care and, and unemployment and all those things. So states know that uh, there could be greater demand for spending in many areas. Um, at a time when revenues are uh, declining sharply. So yeah that's the, you know that's, the, that's the, the vice that they're going to be in and it's going to take a lot of creativity to figure out how to navigate that. The good news is um, going into this, states were in good fiscal shape. and you know the federal government has supplied stimulus to the states to cover COVID issues and and, um, and you know they're, they're, we're anticipating more of that. I mean, we can talk about that in a few minutes.
0: Well, yeah, I've talked to a number of NCSL experts and outside experts, and uh, increasingly people have said, whether it's education or healthcare, people are trying to figure out how to reinvent this stuff on the fly in a matter of days, so it's got to be very, very challenging. We've gone almost overnight from record low unemployment, record high stock market, and now we've got skyrocketing unemployment, a market that's going wildly up and down. What do state leaders think about the economy, or they figure they're just going to have to wait and see what
1: happens? i I think it's sort of a wait and see hang on right now you know you know revenue uh, does revenue for states lags the overall economy, so they don't know until they start doing the quarterly collections and the end of year collections and of course, most states delayed their income tax uh, filing dates as did the federal government into July so the states that or, or I'm sorry, the taxpayers and businesses that that don't do withholding that pay quarterly or pay at the end of the year, they they still don't know what those numbers are going to look at. So nor does anybody know where the economy settles. You know, when, when does it sort of reach some equilibrium of uh, the not getting whipsawed by the news of the day? Like, oh, things look better, things look worse. We lose 500 or 1,000 points on the um, on the Dow or, or, you know, two, 3% on the overall market. And then the next day, all oh, things look good and it's up one or 2%. So I think it's, it's just a fool's errand to try to speculate because there's no analog, you know, there's no, no one has lived through a situation like this in terms of its impact on not just the American economy and the state economies, but the world, the global economy. Um, and there's going to be a tremendous amount of rethinking of global business operations, uh, uh, you know, supply chains, and, you know, maybe maybe having things onshore and bringing some manufacturing back to the United States makes a lot more sense because of the stability of a supply chain that that isn't uh, subject to this kind of uncertainty on a, with a global pandemic. Um, I think that's the kind of stuff that no one can predict. And no one can predict what the new you know what does a new consumer world look like you know our our economy and state state revenues rely heavily on consumer spending does that change in any kind of permanent way um, once we're completely through this crisis and back to there being no analog i mean some people say oh you can look at the great depression in the in the 19 um, in the 1930s and and you know in many ways certainly there's guidance from the great depression but the economy of 2020 is Nothing like the economy, the American economy of of the of the Great Depression era. I mean, our dependence on consumer spending to drive this economy is far different than you know what what drove the economy and technology and uh, and um, global trade. Those those were not that's not what the economy looked like then. So, my overall point is uh, these th- this this is a cliche that's been so overused in the past few weeks. But uncharted waters. I mean, we're we're. We're off the end of the maps We're, you know, there, there's just nothing to compare it to, which is why, back to fiscal officers and, and thoughtful legislators who are trying to predict where this goes, um, you know, you're just having to make some assumptions that may or may not be accurate. And the, the, the X factors are, is, is massive.
0: Let's talk for a minute about the federal government and what action it's taken. As I understand it, states received $150 billion from the CARES Act that was passed by Congress. Is that enough? <laughs>
1: There's a little more detail to it that you got to put into context, which is that 55% of that money was designated for the states and 45% of that was designated for local governments. It also has to be spent under the current law directly on COVID-related expenses and can't be used for sort of economic fallout caused by the COVID-19 crisis. So there's not a ton of flexibility with that money. States are using it on, you know, the direct spending to you know, um, provide immediate assistance to hospitals and healthcare systems and those kinds of things. But the states, actually, in NCSL and NGA and other groups in Washington, are you know talking with the congressional leaders in the White House about more flexibility on that first stimulus. Uh, the first is actually the third bill that Congress passed. But the big uh, stimulus uh, money that was in that 150 billion, 55 percent went to states, and it was on a formula basis. So that the smallest states received at least $1.25 billion. So if you're, say, one of the smaller, you know, like one of the seven states that only have one congressional district, for example, you know, you're, that, that, that $1.25 billion might represent up to 20% of your overall general fund spending. If you're one of the, one of the big, large states like California and Michigan, Florida, uh, New York, the, 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 the amount you got might be a, a far smaller percentage of your general fund. Um, so that money was distributed differently to different states, is my point.
0: What's the outlook, do you think, for additional aid?
1: I think it's pretty strong. I think the leaders in Washington who we've spoken with and who we work with fully understand the need that for states to provide the critical services that they do, they understand that you know, the federal government, of course, is essentially you know, borrowing this money from the future. States don't have that authority or don't have that ability to do that kind of borrowing, and so you know, the states are somewhat reliant in a, in a national crisis like this on you know, federal resources to help survive the, the, you know, the, the, the economic impact of, of this crisis. I think we're, we're optimistic. I think leaders in Congress and the administration understand the need for support to states and the partnership that states play in, in uh, stabilizing the U.S. economy. We will find out more in the, just the coming few weeks. NCSL estimates that the, the revenue shortfall for states could exceed $350, $400 billion. That's just the decline in tax revenues to the states. If you say roughly half of the 150 billion, even if we get more flexibility for that money, is uh, does not come come even close to covering the the huge hit that the states are about to take, and and of course states are going to use their own creativity and their own resources. They're going to look at you know spending money efficiently and effectively, and and uh, can they do anything to increase revenue? There will be of course very little appetite for tax increases uh, with the economy at a, at a low point. So I think the the states could definitely use support from the federal government, and and I think that's going to happen.
0: Another area of concern is voting, both the primaries and the general election in November. Do you expect some sort of expansion of voting by mail, or will it be state by state?
1: Well, the elections are a, such a complicated matter because... Every election regime, every election process is completely different from every other state. I mean, you can put them into sort of buckets of similarities, but like right now, there are only five states where you've got vote by mail essentially universal within the states. So 45 states do not. And one of the strengths of our election system is that the different systems are you know designed for the culture and the history and the the ability of the different states. You know, obviously running an election in Alaska with the vast difference, the vast geography that they have is much different than running the election in Rhode Island. And running the election in a state that maybe has had a long history of of, uh, potential fraud is a lot different than running it in a state that has not had those kinds of problems. You know, I remember when 20 years ago, when after the uh, Bush v. Gore Election and the the intense the examination of the election process. Then, you know, Oregon I think was the only state that had vote by mail at the time, and you know it was pretty clear that that worked really well for Oregon, but other states didn't didn't think that would work for them. So I think this is a state by state answer. But now, um, you know, legislators and and um, and governors are going to work together to make sure that uh, they they make it safe for uh, the people of their states to vote. And they've got a lot of, um, you know, they've got some time, but these election regimes are also sort of complicated statutory frameworks. And so to do that, you're going to have to come into special sessions. And, and you know, it's like you were talking about reinventing education. You know, you got to be really careful with when you're dealing with people's right to vote and their access. This is an absolute right in our democracy. And, you know, you, you can't, have externalities. You can't have things go wrong um, when you start messing with it. So I think it's it's hard to say. I think that you know a lot of states are going to be looking at it. I think a majority of states are going to be looking at you know how do we make sure that the the people and the poll workers um, are safe? We protect the integrity of the election process and and um, make sure that everybody can express their their. You know their right as an American to uh, to vote and influence the government.
0: It seems like years ago, but just a few months ago, we talked on this podcast with you about what the upcoming year was going to look like. I'd be interested in your thoughts. At that time, you said that you didn't see any single priority for all, all the states; that there were different things in different states. That's changed, obviously, but I'd be interested both in your thoughts on how. That is affecting states and things they'll have to put aside, and frankly, also how your uh, priorities have changed as the executive director of NCsa
1: yeah i'm gonna I'm gonna use one example of the state of Kansas. Um, Kansas, I think has, has has only passed six bills before they suspended their session because of coronavirus. And when they come back, I think they only come back for a veto session unless they come back into a special session. Around budget issues, uh, post coronavirus impact, and and what had happened in Kansas, of course, is they had some big issues about Medicaid expansion, um, issues around uh, abortion laws, and you know all of those you know were were brought, came to a complete stop. You know those those issues that were moving through the Kansas legislature, and because you know they shut down essentially, they had to go home, and and I think that's the case in many states that you know when people come back, one Everybody knows that the budget and the the uh, FY21 budgets are now. That's that's what they got to figure out. And so there will be. There's no. There's no revenue. There's no money to expend, extend programs or expand programs or create new programs. Um, and as we spoke, as we said earlier, there's going to be a lot of pressure to innovate to sort of deal with the continuing health emergency of uh, COVID19. So I think now there are, there are two issues and two issues only. Public health with the virus and budgets. And how do you pass a responsible budget with so much uncertainty around revenue? So yeah, this, this changed the world. And then just about NCSL, I think we have been you know, consumed. The, the NCSL staff have been consumed with um, helping states understand what other states are doing helping them understand the complications of health law, of how to keep legislatures operating, how, you know, the the details and the specifics of the federal um, legislation that's passed through. Just like legislatures, and we really are an extension of legislatures, our focus has really shifted to almost solely COVID-19 health issues. But, you know, it affects everything. It affects transportation. It affects prison and correction systems. It affects the, certainly the healthcare system, education, um, right on down the line, elections, parks, state parks are affected by this. So our staff, who are experts in all of these issues, have you know kind of been gearing up webinars and briefing papers, and our online materials are, I think, just extraordinary. You know, really, really first, first class, really first grade. So uh, I think our you know our whole world has changed. There there was BC. And now we're AC, after coronavirus, after COVID-19.
0: Well, as I've done this series of podcasts about COVID-19, and this is the seventh in the series, every person I've interviewed, I think, has commented on how helpful they've found the resources from NCSL. So I uh, I think the staff must be doing a good job. I understand that behind the scenes, NCSL worked to ensure states were represented in Congress and with the administration as they put together that third stimulus bill, uh, the CARES Act. Can you talk about that effort and what else uh, you guys are doing to try to make sure states uh, are being heard in D.C.?
1: Yeah, that's right. We, we're working closely with the partners on Capitol Hill and um, and by extension somewhat in the administration. I have to say the, the intergovernmental relations uh, staff with the White House have done, a, I think, a, an outstanding job of keeping us informed and and making sure that they connected us to the right officials in different agencies. Um, But in terms of the legislation that's moved through Congress, um, you know, we we do that on multiple fronts, um, one of which is we partner with other groups like ours, the council state governments, the National Governors Association, the counties association, the cities, the mayors. And and that's really uh, uh, that makes us stronger. I think, creating a unified front, and it's really it's it's really a process of education, making sure that Congress understands that states are doing everything they can to stabilize their economies and deal with the health emergency. And um, you know, even though half of you know roughly half the members of Congress are former state legislators, they do sometimes forget. Um, you know, the the pressures of you know operating an environment where one you they can't. Uh, they have no credit card. They can't just borrow money. They have to pass and balance budgets. And that's a much much more difficult scenario. And I think uh, helping the members of Congress understand and appreciate that. And we've had a lot of success with that. So I think the NCSL staff are, uh, are, are really doing a, a, a fantastic job, um, making sure that Congress understands the situation states are in and, and then also being partners to help, you know, address the crisis and specifically on the you know frontline issues of getting ventilators and PPE and those kinds of things out to people, which, you know, that that's really an executive function and the governor's been taking the lead. But then there's policy issues behind all of that and policy issues about opening up the economy. And, you know, and I think legislatures are, are stepping up on that pretty big time.
0: So, Tim, thanks so much for your time on- to put it mildly, this is a pretty busy period for you and uh, and everybody else involved with NCSL. Is there anything else you'd like to share with uh, NCSL's members before we wrap up?
1: You know, there, there's the old saying that's been, you know, I think uttered in locker rooms at halftime like a, a million times or more. Is, you know, when, when the going gets tough, the, the tough get going. That's sort of how the NCSL staff have been. Um, when, when this hit, everybody rallied and we – you know, the, the people that support legislators and the legislative staff in the in the, in the capitals, uh, in the 50 states and the territories. The NCSL folks uh, have been working you know, kind of long, long hours through weekends to do the best, most accurate, accurate credible analysis. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a tough time. You know, the country's been through... Uh, lots of uh, extraordinary crises and challenges before you could list them off: the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, the Depression, um, the, uh, September 11th, uh, in the, the global war on terrorism. The, so, so these are all you know seminal events in the nation's history, and this is going to be right there with them. And um, and there's been you know my my heart goes out because I know um, many of our members have been directly touched by, uh, you know, losing loved ones and having people sick around them, and, you know, and that's that's the real, uh, you know, that's the real tragedy. And and then, of course, then there's the economic devastation that's hitting, and that's very real for a lot of people, including some of our members, many of our members. But these are tough times, and, you know, I think the NCSL staff have been, you know, they're tough. And they, they're, they're moving and working hard, and, and we're just going to keep doing everything we can to make sure that legislatures have the best, most credible information, They're able to share ideas with each other so that they're not having to just, you know, figure it out on their own. They've got this terrific network that NCSL provides and, you know, making sure that our state voice is, you know, in the middle of the conversation in Washington about dealing with the economic fallout as well as the health fallout.
0: Well, Tim, thank you very much and you stay safe.
1: And that concludes
0: this edition of our podcast. We encourage you to review and rate our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. You may also go to Google Play, iTunes, or Spotify to have these episodes downloaded directly to your mobile device when a new episode is ready. For the National Conference of State Legislatures, this is Ed Smith. Thanks for listening and being
1: part of Our American States.